Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. I want to stress from the outset that this pandemic is far from over. This is all about trust now and personal responsibility and just being careful and not being selfish. We need people to have faith that this vaccine is safe and that they should take it. The idea of an irreversible move was taken off the table. You can't do that when you have no idea where the virus is going to go. Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Caroline Hepke. Good afternoon, I'm Ewan Potts. Northern Ireland Secretary Brandon Lewis and Brexit Minister Lord Foster are outlining their proposals to Parliament today for solving the problems caused by the Northern Ireland Protocol. The UK blames the protocol for recent tensions over issues including access to medicines and the movement of chilled meats. The government's expected to call for the post-Brexit protocol to be rewritten in a bid to get rid of most of the checks on goods travelling between mainland Britain and Northern Ireland. Well, meanwhile, Dominic Raab has lashed out at the EU's plan for a post-Brexit deal for Gibraltar. He accused the EU of trying to undermine Britain's sovereignty over the territory. And Home Secretary Priti Patel has done a deal to pay France £54 million to enhance policing of the English Channel. More than 8,400 migrants are believed to have made the dangerous crossing from France to Britain so far this year, already eclipsing last year's total. Well, joining us now is Bob Blackman, Conservative MP for Harrow East. Bob, welcome to the programme. Thank you so much for being with us. So first on this major issue today of Northern Ireland, it's another significant flashpoint potentially between the UK and the EU. But this is a mess really of the Conservatives making, isn't it? I think the fact is that obviously the position in Northern Ireland was always going to be a very tricky one to negotiate um, where you've got the the so-called Northern Ireland Protocol uh, in the discussions and debate between uh, the European Union and ourselves. Um, And what what needs to be recognised, and it is actually very simple, that Northern Ireland is an integral part of the United Kingdom and therefore the same rules should operate in Northern Ireland as operate in the rest of the United Kingdom. Now, obviously, we want a good trading relationship with our friends uh, from the European Union, But it needs to be understood that that Northern Ireland is an integral part and we can't have different rules operating in Northern Ireland to uh, the the mainland of of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. So from that perspective, um, clearly things have got to change because it's not not operating uh, effectively and it will need to be renegotiated and alternatives found. Um, There is a dilemma, of course, because um, we have the Belfast Agreement And we want to preserve the peace between uh, Northern Ireland uh, and the Republic of Ireland. And I think from that perspective, it's it's going to be moving forward in an appropriate uh, fashion to make sure that both sides are gaining. At the moment, Northern Ireland potentially has all the potential for being, um, have the best of both worlds. Um, You know, the freedom to trade across uh, the border with uh, the Republic, but also trade with the rest of the United Kingdom and gain from the free trade deals that we're negotiating around the world. 
This was the deal that the government signed up to with the EU very, very recently after much negotiation. Though, How, how can we change it as a country to, to, to make it better? It seems a pretty complex issue. It is a very complex issue. Um, there was a detailed debate uh, on this, uh, I think, last week in the, in the Commons, um, where uh, you know, many, many of my colleagues who are experts in this field were laying out their concerns and putting together some alternative proposals as well. I think that that's where we need to be, we need to get to. We've got to have pragmatic discussion um, to get through this problem. Um, I shall be asking a question uh, this afternoon of the Secretary of State on this particular issue as well when, when he's making an announcement in the Commons. And what I want to see is obviously making sure we've got a solution that satisfies... Um, our, you know, our countrymen uh, from Northern Ireland, as well as uh, ensuring that trade can continue. I mean, it's okay. a difficult one to solve. Yeah, no, incredibly difficult, um, which is, yeah, and that, that kind of pragmatic idea was the one that um, the Prime Minister talked about. Let's see really whether the EU sees it that way. It looks as if um, it's going to be closely watched both by the EU, but also by the US, that Northern Ireland protocol. Bob, let's move on, though, and talk about the pandemic, which is um, another ah. significant issue. I know it's a silly word, but it's um, it's a serious problem, isn't it? The, the idea that thousands of people are having to self-isolate um, if you were pinged by the NHS app, would you go into self-isolation? There's been some confusion from ministers. Well, I think there has been. And I think well, I think the first thing is that the, the, the rules that operate for everyone operate for everyone. Uh, and you can't pick and choose you know, who is entitled to rely, uh, follow these rules and who isn't. So if you're pinged by this app, yes, you have to go into self-isolation. Um, it's regrettable. Uh, but it's one of those things that we've got to undertake if we're going to ensure that we keep the virus under control. Yeah, but um, a minister you know, suggested that people could choose to ignore the advice. They called it advice coming from the NHS app, and many, many people uh, have just turned it off and deleted it. I think, well, one of the problems is, as you say, a lot of people have, have deleted the app and said, well, I'm, I'm not following it, which is not helpful at all. I mean, the fact is that um, there is a reason for this, and that is that you know someone has been in contact with someone who's tested positive for COVID, the risk is that they've got COVID and they either might pass it on to others. Um, and they may be asymptomatic. You know, this is one of the problems. Uh, they may pass it on to others. What they need to do, obviously, is to follow the rules, um, uh, which is to self-isolate, get a test, um, because this is important for their own health. And I, I've got various colleagues that I know in the House who at one time or other have been pinged and then, you know, they've, they've had negative tests and they've been fine. Others um, have found that they've become unwell and they've been tested and they found that they are positive. So, you know, it's important that we learn to live with this virus. And that's one of the biggest areas that we've got to undertake. Um, mm. Obviously, the, the change will happen on the 16th of August uh, when we, we move away from um, this this arrangement around uh, around being pinged and therefore being being required to self-isolate but it will still be important that you know if you're if you are pinged that you get a test to make sure that you're not uh, carrying covid because the worst thing will be you know as we start to unlock the economy and people start going back to their normal place of work um, when they they potentially take covid with them which will be a disaster Hmm. On that subject, something of a surprise announcement from the government on vaccine passports. What's your view on making these compulsory in 
in nightclubs, as the government is talking about, and perhaps, as France is proposing, in, in cafes and bars and restaurants? I, I just think it's an impractical um, way of proceeding. I mean, the fact is that you know now people have gone back to a position whereby uh, they're, they're, they're not wearing face coverings in pubs or restaurants or, or other places. Um, they People are... Uh, how people to check these things to whether you've got a, a, a double vaccine or not. Um, I think it's been very difficult for the hospitality industry in particular to be able to operate in this way. And by picking out nightclubs, um, it, you know, you get to a point of, well, is it a nightclub or is it a pub? Is it, what about cinemas, concerts, football matches? You know, I think, you know, all these things suddenly becomes a creeping position of yeah. forcing people to have have double vaccine i would okay. encourage everyone to, to have the vaccine uh, get yes. both both jabs as fast as you can but and here's the big but we have people that medically um, can't have the vaccine for various reasons and there is a there is a factor of freedom of choice um it seems to me to be uh, uh, completely so, so then do you back the, the idea of a vaccine passport for anything any part of the economy to go anywhere no, I don't. I, I think the, the, my view is that if you're going to go out of this country to another country, almost certainly you're going to have to have a vaccine passport mm. because it's not us determining um, that. It's obviously the other country you're visiting. Uh, but when it comes to the normal economy, I don't see any reason whatsoever for having uh, a vaccine passport uh, because I think you know we, we've ruled it out before and now suddenly it's coming back as a, as a, a suggestion. And it, the immediate suggestion, as you say, was nightclubs. But we now seem to be moving towards, well, it could be pubs, it could be clubs, it could be restaurants, it could be football matches. You know, you, where do you draw the line? Uh, next thing it'll be, you know, you've got to have a double vaccine before you can go to the supermarket. Well, sorry, this is just, it's the, it's the thin, end of a, thin, edge, thin end of a very mm. thick wedge. Mm. That's, that's very clear. Let's turn to uh, another subject now, and that's... Um, the uh, the Newport uh, Chip Factory. Um, Tom Tugentart, the chair of the uh, Foreign Affairs Select Committee, uh, a, a frequent guest on on the show, says we need a review yeah. of the decision. What, what, what's your, uh, your what's your view of that? Well, I, I took part in the urgent question on this and made clear my position that um, I'm all for the free market where companies can be bought and sold. Um, but when it comes to a question of national security, and this is the predominant manufacturer of semiconductors in, in the UK. Um, we can't have this falling into the hands of a company that's owned by the Chinese government. Um, it, it goes against our national security. We cannot have a position whereby our national security is compromised. Uh, we do know that, you know, I'm afraid, that the Chinese are past masters at utilising new technology um, to, um, to spy and to gain information and we can't have them uh, owning the, our semiconductor factory full stop. Okay well, that sounds like tough rhetoric but is it really being followed through by the government um, you know which has significant ties to China and also the, these thoughts are coming very late in the process when it comes to businesses? Well I think it only came to uh, at the attention of the house um, in the last uh, week or so and um, I think it's fair to say that not a single Speaker in the in the uh, urgent question debate was supportive of this company falling into Chinese hands. Um, the minister uh, responsible um, did her best um, to defend the position, uh, but I think most of us are saying 
this is a time for the government to step in and veto uh, this acquisition. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest-growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Let's have a look now at what else is making news in the world of politics. So, the public finances. Some good news for Chancellor Rishi Sunak and some bad, Ewan. Inflation took a toll on public finances last month and that meant that interest payments on government debt hit unprecedented levels. The Treasury had to pay £8.7 billion in interest in June, the most for any month since records began going back to 1997. On the flip side, the upside is that the government borrowing is expected to come in at a lower level than was expected in the March budget last year. This according to research from the Institute for Fiscal Studies. Yeah, it was a blockbuster night as well from former Johnson aide Dominic Cummings who made a series of revelations about the running of Downing Street in a BBC interview. Cummings said that Boris Johnson was highly opposed to a second lockdown last autumn, which Labour was calling for by mid-October. And also that the Prime Minister wanted to keep seeing the Queen for his weekly meetings in person. And he elaborated on that uh, eye test he took in Barnard Castle and admitted he has doubts about Brexit. Mm. Meanwhile, the row over the pandemic, the hundreds of thousands of people told to self-isolate following an alert from the NHS app on their phone. Well, that continues to make headlines. According to a YouGov poll, 10% of adults have actually deleted the app, having previously installed it. That's on top of the 31% who have never downloaded it, despite actually owning a smartphone, Ewan. Yeah, well, let's get the uh, very latest now from Bloomberg Opinion Editor Therese uh, Raphael. Therese, let's start off on that, on the uh, pingdemic. It's such an uh, irresistible pun, isn't it? Uh, another warning from businesses about staff absences. Uh, pretty serious, this, this time from um, the meat processing industry. I think, you know, what we're, you know, we have now a, an app whose algorithm is completely, um, you know, it seems to be out of uh, keeping with the, you know, how the disease is progressing in the country and the actual level of exposure. I mean, we are seeing the Delta variant uh, cases increasing uh, dramatically, but we're also seeing people who have double vaccinated, who are testing negative, who are forced to isolate for 10 days. Uh, the government doesn't want to change the, uh, the, the algorithm on the app. You know, it wants a more, uh, to keep a more cautious approach. It's having, you know, obviously a, a big effect on businesses. And it also meant that Boris Johnson and Rishi Sunak themselves had to, um, you know, have to self-isolate. So, you know, I think it, it, it's, it's added to the sense that um, it, it, a sense of sort of confusion about what is the actual state of risk in the country where the, you know, whether the freedoms that have just been granted are, um, you know, being given with one hand and taken away with the other. And I think, you know, we're only going to see more of that through the summer. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, something like 46,000 positive cases in 24 hours. I mean, we're around the 50,000 mark every day. And although deaths are low, they are rising. Therese, the other big um, issue, uh, not, not just about the pandemic, but the relationship between the UK and the EU. I mean, it's nothing short of tense. And now today it could get even more difficult. The government hoping um, to sort out exports to Northern Ireland and the protocol making a big announcement today. I mean, what happens if they, you know, do to try to somehow rip up the Northern Ireland protocol? Yeah, I think we have to look a bit at the timing of all of this. And, you know, we've now seen a, there are a whole series of things that are happening that is ratcheting up tension with the EU from, uh, you know, boats of, of, of refugees coming um, across the English Channel um, to Northern Ireland and Gibraltar. And, you know, this is a week that Parliament goes into recess. And, you know, there are a few things that are better at consolidating, um, you know, Tory opinion and sort of sending people um, off to recess with the, with the sense that Boris Johnson is in charge, then him standing up to the EU and saying, you know, we, we're not going to take these uh, these barriers. I mean, the EU uh, itself has a, has a problem because its position is simply that, well, this is what you signed up for, and there's not much we can do about it. And, uh, you know, so, this, so the two are really headed for a clash. I don't think we're going to get any uh, really significant new uh, proposals today. Um, I'm, we could be, you know, we could get surprised, but, you know, this is ground that has been raked over pretty extensively for the last four years. So whether uh, Frost is going to come out today and say he has a, a new proposal that meets the EU's requirement that it complies with the Northern Ireland Protocol and yet gets around these problems uh, that have come up with bureaucracy and checks that, you know, is part and parcel of not being a part of this, the single market, I, th I think that's a, that's a tall ass. So what we'll probably see is a ratcheting up of tensions, more rhetoric um, uh, that, that you know, suggests the two sides can't agree, perhaps you know, more talk of extensions, and uh, we you know, come back to it in the autumn with a lot of these problems unresolved. There has been the, the hint of a, of a threat to suspend the protocol. Do you, do you think that is there is any prospect of that, or is that perhaps further down the line when we're after more more gridlock? Yeah, I mean, I think that that's the, where the logic of the government's position takes it. Uh, it's also a, a pathway that seems to be popular within the party, within Brexit voters. Um, and, you know, so it, 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 I think the question is how do they avoid that kind of outcome? Because a suspension of the protocol obviously triggers uh, a whole series of, uh, uh, of other measures that can result in retaliation and in uh, trade sanctions and impact other sides of the EU-UK relationship. And that's not going to be to Britain's or the EU's favour. So I, I think they'll, it's, it's a measure they will have to take very, very advisedly, but it is where they're heading at the moment. Okay, so that on Northern Ireland. Um, what about the other issue that may well dominate also the sort of summer newspapers? Sadly, it's um, so many migrants trying to make it across what is a very narrow but a very dangerous body of water, the channel. Um, I'm a little bit surprising in some ways that Preeti Patel has been so criticised in the newspapers today for for paying the French to try to police the, the this um, issue more. Um, it does not seem to be going down well with um, 
yeah, with, with conservatives, essentially. That's interesting. I think the, the actual number of, of crossings is not um, particularly high by historic standards, although it's, it's, it's gone up significantly from last year. But that's not really a surprise, given that last year we were in the middle of the pandemic and, and you know, pretty much all of that um, ground to a halt. And now the, uh, you know, the sort of criminal groups that are uh, organizing these crossings are sort of back in operation. But, you know, again, I, I find the timing um, interesting in that, you know, this is always a, a, a way that uh, that the Home Office and the Home Secretary in particular can, can play to the base in the party. Um, and, you know, I, I think you know, what we've seen in, in general since Brexit is that the issue of immigration, which was so prominent in, during that Brexit campaign, has really died down as something that, that resonates heavily with the British public. So, you know, th- this may be an attempt to, to kind of whip up anti-immigrant sentiment, but I'm not sure um, it will be, you know, quite as successful as it was four or five years ago. Uh, I hesitate to say this, but it seems like there is a, another delay to reform of uh, social care, how to pay uh, to social care. There's something we seem to have heard so many times over the years. But uh, reports that the government is to put off uh, plans to increase perhaps national insurance uh, to pay for, for social care. What's what's the latest on that situation? Well, I think it's you know, part of the problem is you have now Sajid Javid, the health secretary, who's got COVID, and uh, the prime minister and the chancellor who are self-isolating, so it makes it much harder for them to sit in a room and hammer something out. But the, the, you know, the, the rough lines of um, disagreement and you know, have been known for for some time. Um, it, you know, it's a question of whether uh, the chancellor and Boris Johnson are willing to swallow an increase in national insurance and taxation rates in order to pay for social care. Reports are that the prime minister does favor that option, as well as putting a cap on what individuals would have to pay toward their care. The chancellor is um, uh, apparently. Um, less enthusiastic about that option. But, you know, the reality is that it is a huge problem uh, in this country. It was highlighted uh, very starkly during the, um, uh, the first winter of the, you know, the pandemic. And, you know, the, Boris Johnson two years ago did promise to solve it. So the longer he goes without meeting that pledge, I think the more criticism there's going to be. Um, and it's hard to imagine how you resolve it without some kind of increase mm. in taxation, uh, particularly for older people. Um, but I think they're worried also about intergenerational fairness. They don't want the burden of that to fall on a younger generation that's already experiencing a number of hardships with the pandemic. Yeah, absolutely. And this does sort of, I, I mean, we, we're not entirely sure whether we're going to get that social care sort of announcement in these last few days of the parliamentary session now, are we? Um, well, that kind of, I suppose I'll end on this thought then, that intergenerational issue is also one with the COVID passports issue, isn't it, too? Um, the issue about whether to to use them or not. Um, for nightclubs, the government's already announced, but whether to extend that to pubs and so on. Well, absolutely, because nightclub owners are, are, you know, crying, you know, crying out in pain at this idea that they will have to impose the uh, a COVID certification, vaccine certification from September. Um, nightclub goers can just go down the street to the pub and sort of continue the party there. may not be the same, but, you know, at least you get the spontaneity, um, you know, 
that uh, that young people really like. Uh, you know, this is it's quite a you know a mess for Johnson at this point because initially they they ordered a review of COVID certification, these COVID passports. It looked like the government wanted to institute it. There was a big backlash uh, in the Tory backbenches. The review then said that they wouldn't be doing anything for now. Um, but then Johnson's op- allowed the nightclubs yeah. to reopen, and uh, now that now he has to impose conditions. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.